Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Hello, everyone. Today we have Dr. Gail Dharma with us. Gail is a licensed psychotherapist who has been in practice for three decades. During her sessions, she guides patients towards inner healing with EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, also kundalini yoga, breathwork, and meditation. Dr. Gail is a former university professor and department chair of psychology and has also worked at the well known Hazelden Betty Ford Center. She has a beautifully illustrated book titled Mystica and the Magical Labyrinth Shell that is about Ho'oponopono, which is forgiveness and love. Dr. Gale has a private practice in historic downtown Tarpon Springs, Florida, and she and her husband also enjoy leading holistic retreats called Where Shift Happens, which I love, in Florida and in Mexico. Dr. Gale's journey has been anything but a straight line from getting divorced in her 20s to being a single mom and going back to school in her 30s to losing just about everything in her 50s. She has learned resilience and tenacity and is going to share her story with us today. Welcome, Dr. Gail Dharma. Thank you. I'm so grateful and excited to be with you this morning. We are so excited to have you with us, Dr. Gail. And I just want to read a quote to you that we read to all of our podcast guests here by Brene Brown. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. And we know that that's what your whole entire life is all about. And while we were talking before um, recording this podcast this morning, you were sharing with us how you're, you know, you wanted to speak about decades in your life and how there were certain songs associated with them and the lessons that you learned throughout those decades through the adversity that was thrown your way. So would you mind bringing us back to the 1970s and bridge over troubled water? Thank you. Yes. Growing up in South Dakota, wow, <laughs> there was this thing that we would do a lot of drinking, you know, for our antifreeze, you know, to stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can understand that. And as an only child, and that's a quote because that's what I thought, which I you'll see in these decades though, I find out that there wasn't the only child, you know, feeling lonely. I would reach out. I would do so many things to try to be involved in the high school times of cheerleading and dating, you know, the high school sweetheart who was 
the quarterback of the football team. And we did the prom together. After we graduate from high school, I go off to nursing school. He goes into the army and I become pregnant. We get married. And then things start to happen that was very shocking for me. He rolled my parents' car. There was a lot of drinking and then became physically abusive. To you. None of that had come up prior, it sounds like, like where you were dating in high school. Yes, there were signs along the way, but I was naive. I didn't understand. I just thought, oh, you know, we're young and that's something that we will outgrow. What were some of the signs you you didn't recognize that now you know were signs? I think probably the drinking was one of the main things that, you know, we we would drink a lot in high school. And in those days in South Dakota, we'd you know, go out to the cornfields and we'd have these kegers. <laughs> and it just became, it, it just started to grow and it would happen more often than drinking. But then it was like, well, I would make excuses for it. it would, you know, it'd be okay. But then it really became a problem. Yeah. Right. So what did you discover through when he started to be abusive? What was your next step? Then I was this early in the twenties, you know, I had this baby I have to drop out of nursing school and we would travel because he was in the army. So we would get these assignments and we would, you know, went to Hawaii and in this beautiful place. And here I am alone with this baby and he goes and comes, comes back, drinks, abusive. And I was able to somehow there was something inside of me that said, I just cannot do this. I cannot. I do not want to live like this. And I was divorced him and he left the army. He went AWOL. He went to Alaska. We never heard from him. There was never child support. He just disappeared. So in that pain, my parents were like, come back. Well, they had moved from South Dakota to Arizona. And I went to Arizona and we were brought up in a very Christian kind of background. And so it was, you know, if you would go to church and things like that, I'm then met another person at church who I thought, well, I'm not capable at that point in my life of being a single parent. And I married again a second time. How old were you at this point? Good question. I'm still like 24 years old. Wow. Yes. And I married and I have my second son. Now, here's the interesting part of all this is that by that time, by the t- 25, two sons, I've now done the marriage and the divorces. At 26, I'm single parent with these two little boys. And that's when I had DES. My mother had taken DES back in the 50s, which was what they took to not miscarriage. And all these kids that were born during those time were having these developmental things that were happening to them. So at 26, I was then diagnosed with cancer of the cervix due to this DES that my mom. Wow. I've heard of that drug and I've heard of that happening. Wow. I'm so sorry. I had the hysterectomy, but here's the the part of that is that if I wouldn't have had those two boys at age 20, 25, right? I probably never would have had. Wow. That's great. Wow. What a blessing. And so by this, by the time you're diagnosed, you're, you're divorced from your second husband. I was going through that. And that was the, the, I think what really happened during that time, because of all the trauma of, you know, this, these sons and this marriage that wasn't working in this, 
hysterectomy, a full hysterectomy, and then they put you on crazy hormones and everything happening. And I think that also played into why I wasn't able to process all of that in my 20s. There was so much grief that had happened. And yet, what did, what would I do with all that? And that's what started me into my 30s then. I was somehow I made this contract, if you will, that I never wanted to depend on anybody. <laughs> there wasn't going to be anybody else. And I off I went with these two little boys to university. And because there was no contact and there was no child support, I was somehow on school loans and we were on food stamps and living in this, you know, family housing. And there was this school and work and raise these two boys in my 30s. It's, you know, the song that I would say would be, don't go chasing waterfalls. looking, searching for something that I could take care of myself. So we went from bridge over troubled waters, you know, in the <laughs> seven, in the eighties, do you remember a song called, uh, let's see, tainted love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And now I'm pacing these waterfalls about how I think my life is going to be. Wow. So you're going to school to become a doctor of psychology, yes? I didn't even have that awareness when I started. You know, we grew up thinking, my parents gave me the choice, you're either going to be a teacher or a nurse. So I went to nursing school. After I was working in the hospital, I was like, oh no, this is not for me. And then I was through all of that, you know, really started to do some deep soul searching about why was I attracting these kind of people? What was it in me that I needed to heal? And I began to do the counseling. And that's when I started looking into art therapy, counseling, and then you get this, you know, undergrad and psychology, what are you going to do with that? Keep going, masters. And that's when I started digging deeper into you know, this alcoholism, I was, you know, working at a Betty Ford Center and realizing my codependency and how I would have these thoughts like, well, things will change if I would just, you know, behave and do these certain, that's when my healing continues, you know, began just really, and it continues to this day, digging deep into how I can do things and how I can help others. I I think Patty and I, you know, I'll only speak for myself, but Patty and I have had a lot of discussions about many things, but we can definitely understand the whole, well, if I just was this way, I could change somebody else's behavior, thinking that we, it makes sense at the time, but then thinking back on it, it's like, wow, do I really think I have that much power? Totally. That I could change some, but, but, and also I think some of it's wishful thinking, like I really love this person and they're great when they're this way, not when they're that way. So, you know, part of it, I think is out of love. Like, I just want to help you. And I want you to be this great person that I know you are. So I get that. 
and codependency, I think, is fascinating, right, Kara? Like that, it sounds like the perfectionism and the codependency conversations we've had, and how they can be wrapped up in controlling and all of the things. And then we think we, right, we are powerful and we we do have control, and we really don't. But it's always fascinating to me too. Uh, you bring up that here you were, Dr. Gale, thinking, I don't want to be dependent on anyone. I don't want to have to have any support or any help. Yet, recognizing that there's codependency in you, even though you've made that decision. And I think that's fascinating that we can feel very independent and think that we're very independent, but yet have codependent tendencies in us that keep us in this loop of not really just falling in love with ourselves unconditionally. Yes, yes. And through all of that, you know, keeping on moving forward, like this tenacity, this perseverance. And then in the 40s for me, it all kind of started to, you know, like, wow, I'm at the top of my career. I've got this PhD. I'm teaching at university. I've got a private practice. Things are really great. My boys are growing. And it was the theme that I think of for my 40s was just breathe. Just breathe. I finally feel like, ah. And then I go into the 50s, which was just such an interesting decade too. Everything that I had moved towards and, you know, kept going was now going to go the other way. It's like, I can't have one without the other, this up and down the yin yang, the light without the moon, because here I was, uh, everything. And in the fifties, my parents both pass away. My dog of 15 years, the car, the house, the job, everything is gone. And the beautiful thing about that is I began to travel. I would go because I had no attachments to anything. And I lived in Sedona and the big island. I went to New Zealand. I really did this soul searching of what it is that I can do to help understand myself deeper again, so that I can keep supporting and teaching this. And that traveling, you know, through the 40s and 50s was the song of Amazing Grace. Dr. Gale, you you mentioned that you lost everything. Do you want to share with us what happened and how you lost things? And and I appreciate that that set you up for a really great opportunity to kind of go out and soul search and learn who you were. And that's the gift that you received. But that's a big deal to have some, all of those things be gone. And uh, I'm curious. It was by choice that if I'm going to walk my talk, if I'm going to say that we really live in the moment, we really trust and have this faith. And so when I did this, I had no money, no, I did not take any credit cards. I really was living and working as I was going through that process. So when I went over to New Zealand, it was how am I going to support myself in this? And I began teaching over there. 
And in exchange for the teaching, I had, a you know, my room and board was taken care of. So it's really wanting to be able to, to pass that knowledge, pass that trust on that if we connect into this divine source, universe, God, that we really plug into that, that for me was what it was all about. It's fascinating. It's fascinating and incredibly brave. Yes. That scares the crap out of me <laughs> to hear you say that, but it makes sense. It's like, you know, leap and, you know, just believe that there's going to be a net there for you or, or you're going to fly. I mean, I say that stuff and I believe it, but have I actually practiced it? I don't think so because I try and control every little thing that goes on in my life. But I love it. I love the freedom that that, that gives you as well. But it's scary. It's amazing. And you're you're touching on something that I think is so, so commonplace, but yet we don't talk about it. And that's being kind of a contradiction in our work. And I was just talking to a healthcare practitioner yesterday about it, how we will preach taking care of yourself and doing those certain things. And then yet sometimes we lose sight of that ourselves in the, you know, the busyness and the hamster wheel of life and owning a business or working a business or your job or your work. And you all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm telling everyone else to do this and I'm not taking care of it myself. And so to have that bravery to go say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just talk the talk, I'm gonna walk the talk. That's a big, big deal to go and strip it all away and build it back up. I love. I would love to hear more about that. Yes, yes. And we continue that, don't we? That we really, I love this, that image of the, the flying trapeze and, you know, do we have that net underneath us? And we absolutely do. And to really trust if, if we fly and we don't quite catch the bar that's, you know, over there, and we tumble and fall, it's okay because what did we learn in that process? And and what was the lessons? And what are the gifts that I can take from these experiences and be able to share with others? Yeah. And remember when I was mentioning something about, you know, in the 70s and, you know, thinking I was this only child and, and grew up that way. So I'd, I'd go out to try to get my needs met. And in my 60s, my son would say, mother, there's this lady that keeps contacting me on Facebook. And do you know? And it's like, no, I don't know. And you need to really, you know, pay attention. We've all done this 23 and me, except for you. And I said, well, hey, you know, I'm English and Irish. What is, you know, I'm good. And our daughter-in-law gave us everybody in the family, these 23 and me kits. I thought, well, this isn't interesting. And she said, I really want, you know, our daughter, your granddaughter to know who her family is. So I said, oh, heck, okay, I'll do it. Put in the, you know, what you do for the 23 and me, sent it in, the results come back on Father's Day. So I was told growing up, this is your father, but I was raised by a stepfather. And oh, by the way, when you're 60 something, here is your biological, here's your other father. To find out now I have five and four or five brothers and sisters. Wow. And we've connected. I've connected with just one of them. They've come down from Minnesota and, you know, we've really got closer to find out what, you know, there were all these (laughs) other siblings. And so that, you know, I can take that story and that experience and say, well, I didn't have da da da. I could have. And it's like, no, for that experience, it really gave me clarity. It gave me more answers. It's like, oh, that explains 
why I didn't quite feel like I fit in and why I quite often wondered about so-and-so. So So I, I want us to just take these experiences you know the the song for the 60s like is who's your daddy you think it's one story and it happens to be something else that's great so you grew up with a stepfather that you were told was your father I I grew up knowing that it was my stepfather and that there was this other father. And then I had no connection with him, right? You had never met him? At twice, only twice. And I never felt anything. You know, I thought, well, what's wrong with me that I, you know, he's and come to be like he wasn't. It was just part of the story. Oh, wow. Going back to your 50s when you did all that traveling, were your sons with you or were they in college and they... They were, you know, starting their own lives independently. They were on their own. And that's how I raised them, right? To be really independent. And yes, they were traveling and um, one, you know, went into Merchant Marine and traveled the world. The other one isn't, you know, got in a relationship, had my granddaughter. Oh, that's awesome. So we're in your, you're in your 60s now. I don't know how old you are. <clears throat> I'm looking at a very youthful looking woman. So I'm I'm surprised that we're past your, your 50s here. And is there another decade of a story and a song? We'll go with the 60s for now. And I'm not sure what the 70s, you know, we're, we're looking into these retreats. And why, right? My husband, uh, I, I remarried in my 60s and he's always had his job. I've always had my work and we've talked about coming together and what that would be like to work together and create these retreats, the Holistica retreats. So we've been doing more traveling and we'll go down to Mexico again next month and be gone for a couple of weeks exploring. We found a property, but we want to stay there and we want to be with the culture, there's a, what they call a Temescal there, which we know here is a sweat lodge, but it's put on, we're going to have the Mayans do it and use the local healers to do the sound and the healing. And I'll be teaching the yoga and having these different experiences, which in the fifties, when I was talking about all that loss and grief is when I became a Kundalini yoga teacher And when I was telling you about the travels and I lived in the ashram, added the meditation and the numerology and all these other modalities that I could use in private practice, along with EFT, the emotional freedom technique. There's so many, so, so many techniques for healing. And we find different ones that work for us. So something that really like, oh, wow, I really... love to meditate. Another person will say, I don't know how to meditate. Well, that's because they haven't found the kind, the type of meditation that works for them. Some like it's silent and quiet. Well, others need a moving meditation, a walking breath work meditation. So we're implementing all these tools and techniques that I've learned throughout into our retreats. Excellent. That was a a question I had for you as you were kind of talking was over your years, 
you said, you know, your one of your lessons in life is that everything that's come along has given you a gift that you can share with others. And I'm curious if you could just kind of maybe list some of those gifts that you've been given throughout your journey that now you're sharing with others. And it, you just shared some of them with us. And also the compassion, I think, has been a beautiful gift. The non-judgment, the, the love. You know, when I was trained back in, you know, the 70s, 80s about being a psychologist, therapist, we were told we couldn't even touch the client, right? And now I give them the biggest hug and they know that I am there for them. There's this, you can text, I am here. They know there's no judgment. There's so many people that we need to know that there's this connection and that we are connecting in a non-judgmental way. I would say those are some of the other gifts along with the tools and techniques that I've been able to implement. It's uh, the non-judging thing is something that's so beautiful and so hard to achieve as the conversation is constantly rolling in your head of judgment all the time. Is this safe? Is that not safe? Is this person safe? Is that person not safe? Like I feel the um, more non-judgment I am, the happier I am, but it's not easy to push yourself away from it all the time. And I think awareness is is where we start, right? But do you have any tips or tricks for us to get that that uh, judgment out of our head and and peace into our heart to push it into our heart instead? Thank you. I love that because it is about this head and heart coherence. And when our minds do that rabbit hole, right? It hooks on something and we can begin to spin and down the rabbit hole we go. Oh, yeah. And if we can use our breath, the box breathing is a very good technique and the head heart coherence, the meditation, the different ways that we can tap into all these different healing modalities to help us not spin and to go down that rabbit hole. So the the biggest gift that we give ourselves is presence. So let me just quiz you on this. How many thoughts do you think we have a day? Oh God, millions. Way too many. 63,000 approximately, unless we're doing the OCD thing, right? So if we have 63,000 thoughts a day, there are only three things, which is past, present, and future. And we realize that a lot of our thoughts are in the past or in the future. Yeah. And we brain gym, right? We train ourselves to be present. It's all we have, this gift of the presence. And that's why they call the, you know, past history, the future a mystery and the present, the gift that we have. Yep. And I hear that all the time too, but that's a great reminder because there's nothing you could do about the past. It's the past. And you really can't do anything about the future because it hasn't happened yet. And who's to say it's really going to happen the way you're thinking about it. So it makes every sense in the world to stay in the present, but I don't know. Again, I'm a controller. So I like to be prepared about what's going to happen. What may happen. (laughs) Ridiculous. And I want to learn from the past. How do I stay present? It's with my breath. Through the breath work is how we stay present. No breath, no life. So let's do our breathing or do our breath work. And it helps us. It helps us, trains us. Also, another 
really awesome tool is the numerology. And I learned that living in the ashram and being with the Kundalini yoga and the meditation and the numerology. So when you really dig deeper into your date of birth, I believe it's when we chose, you know, to come in, I came in in May, May 3rd, and I take that and I calculate your date of birth and I'm able to read these soul, our karma, what we're learning, our destiny, our path, and take those tools and implement them along with the breathing, the yoga, the practices, the meditation, the EMDR, the eye movement, the EFT, journaling, right? We could just go on with all the things that we have available to us. Sound is beautiful. The gong, the crystal bowls. You know, I, so with numerology, what you're saying is, I think, is we, and I kind of do believe that we choose when we come here, who we're with and I, uh, like who our parents are. And I think to an extent, we end up seeing the same souls that we've seen in prior lives, but we're here to like learn something different. So with the numerology, are you able to identify why we're here, why we chose to come and what we are choosing to learn? It does give us the information. This week, I spoke at a luncheon, a networking luncheon on Tuesday. And then Thursday, I followed it up with a deeper dive into the numerology. And to do that as a group and to teach that, and there was the same things that were happening. It's like, okay, so I'm a number so-and-so and I'm supposed to be a teacher. That That's really clear for me. I am a teacher. And all these things through the decades have led me to teach how to tap into a deeper meaning, um, how to really plug in to source. Because when we are disconnected, not plugged in, that's when a lot of the things that keep on happening, you know, like they're like, why does this keep on happening? You know, and it's like, take a deeper look into our, our soul as to what it is that it's learning and clearing it that I'm mastering it so I don't keep repeating. That's awesome. I love that. If you were to go back to your prior self when you were in high school and you were in the fields having the keg parties, what would you tell yourself uh, knowing where you are now in your life, going back there, knowing what you were going to go through and stuff? What would you say to yourself? To stay open to the lessons and the gifts because we have no idea what we think it's going to be and how it goes sometimes can be so different. And that would be to go with the flow and to be in this awake and awareness. In the first book that I wrote with Mystica and the Magical Labyrinth Shell is about that forgiveness, about the Ho'oponopono, which is the ancient Hawaiian prayer of please forgive me. Thank you. I love you how we can apply that to our life. And so I think it would be to to those things, to go with the flow, to be in the moment, to cherish every moment. Thank you for that. Dr. Gail, were you ever, like you, you gave us a great broad look at your life and you've had lots of ups and downs. And you, I feel like you you lived that advice already by the way you described it. And you you may not have. I'm just assuming, you know, some of the downs, the lows were pretty low. Did you ever have depression while you were, you know, going through? Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You know, some ways that our bodies deal with all this experiences, 
And some would say the big T and the little T, trauma. And the message is how we choose to process and to go through that, that we do not get stuck in that story, that we're very conscious of what it is and how to change that reality. Because I could stay stuck in that story, and yet it's I, I choose to have the reality of what did I learn from that. And of course, there were times that, especially in the 20s, when all that hormonal was happening, and then the estrogen and the hysterectomy, and they were giving me all these shots and pills. And there was many times that I remember being on my knees and the tears and the sobbing of the choices that I didn't know how to make being stuck. And then being able to give hope to others that you you too can move through this and not stay stuck in that story to really, really give what was my karma? What was my purpose? Why was I going through this and choosing this and learning this? And it's to help others make it through their process. I think it's important. And we've heard this from others too, just staying curious about what's happening in order to try and see it a little bit more clearly instead of this is happening to me. Yes, it is happening to you, but what, you know, what is it that's going on and how can I get help for myself? How can I reframe what it is? That's all great advice. What's the gift? What's the opportunity, right? We, we've heard it too, like in, in medicine, a lot of times you're fearful or I've, I've seen it happen and, and sometimes fearful that people become their diagnosis, you know, that we, we slap a label on something or someone and then they become that rather than trying to navigate without that label. And I think that's kind of what you are saying. Is that kind of wrapping that up? It reminds me when I was doing my internship and my residency and I was underneath a psychiatrist and she's like, you know, we're diagnosing. I said, I'm not going to label these people. You know, I don't like labels. And she's like, you will. (laughs) That's right. And so I began doing that with a knowing that there is fear and We know the acronym of FEAR, right? F-E-A-R is false evidence appearing real or F everything and run. (laughs) (laughs) I never heard that one. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the best. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) And fear is, you know, about the future. And so that's the thing. It's like, okay, I realize that I'm doing this and I'm coming from that point, but I also am present in this moment and I'm able to make choices. Thank you for that. I I am um, I have just been really your your whole presence during this podcast is so calming and so full of love. You can feel it through the screen. I'm sure our listeners are hearing it and feeling it through your voice. You're very calming and very centered, and it's been really great to spend this time with you, Dr. Gail. And I'm really lucky to have you right up the street from us. I know. It's great that you're local because I'm going to be calling you about numerology. Yes. And I have a sweet office in Tarpon Springs, right in the historic downtown. And the office is right by the church, the big, beautiful church and owned and run by them. So we have all of that love around us. And I'm very grateful for Tarpon Springs and the Writers Author Guild that I am. I just was nominated Author of the Month. Oh, nice. Congrats. Grateful. So much to be grateful for. So you have, 
You currently have one book, Mystica and the Magical Labyrinth Shell, and you can buy it. You can be found on Amazon. And you said you're in the process of writing a second book. And can you remind us what the title is, please? Under the Sea, Treasures of Friendship and Family. I'm writing it with my 12-year-old granddaughter. And the first one has one mermaid who's Mystica. And in this book, it's the grandma and the granddaughter mermaids. And it's about this prodigal pirate who we know would be my son and how we are shifting the thoughts and the beliefs around family dynamics. And both books are in candor, in rhyme, with this rhythmic feeling of the ocean and going with the flow. That is so great. Very cool. And both of them, you said they're preteen age books, roughly. Grandparents are buying them for their grandkids kind of books. Yes, that's great. And I love how the messages are forgiveness and, you know, love and family. I love that. So if if any of our listeners are ever in the Tarpon Springs area, you definitely might want to look up Dr. Gail Dharma here with us. To learn more, you can visit, right? We can visit your holistic wellness website which is about creating a peaceful, sustainable, and healthy world. Holistica Retreats, and I love, love, love your tagline, Where Shift Happens, and that's um, at holisticaretreats.com. And you're also on Facebook and Instagram. So it has been such a great pleasure to have you here with us today, Dr. Gail. Thank you. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. But I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. You know, we were quite... um... Don't start. (laughs) Sometimes the best stuff comes out like this, so... That's true. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. Like his promises, truth won't leave my faith in a dick. The many chances I've lived with it.